Welcome to Business as an Adventure, a podcast dedicated to improving the businesses and lives of creative entrepreneurs. Together, we interview high-performing entrepreneurs and creatives from all over the world, explore what makes them and their business unique. And along the way, we uncover their secrets to help you craft your own adventure in the world of business. All right. So our guest today is Chantelle Laurie. She's a family photographer in South Florida, where she lives with her husband and her dog, or maybe dogs. Uh, Chantelle is originally from uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, which I'm sure I probably just butchered the pronunciation of because we do not take Spanish lessons here in Canada. Uh, Chantal and I have been running in similar circles for a while in photography, but we didn't really connect until earlier this year when I was enlisted to help some photographers on a project to raise some money and awareness after the killing of George Floyd in May of 2020 when we're recording this. Her passion and desire to help instantly caught my attention, and I knew that I had to have her on the show, and Angie was totally on board. So Chantal, thank you so much for coming today and chatting with us. Thank you, guys. I'm excited. How are you doing? Uh, well, it's 2020. That's it. Who just how everything has started? Well, it's 2020, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is that a question in 2020? It's like. Yeah, everyone's just sort of doing either bad or lukewarm, I think. <laughs> it's like a friend yeah. of mine that uh, her daughter was homeschooling, and in the computer is like saying hi to all of the classes, like. Oh, hi, guys. I'm glad to see you. I'm so happy you're all alive. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? It's, it's funny, but it's not funny. <laughs> not like a seven-year-old saying that. It's like, holy crap. What is happening? Sometimes when you can't cry, you just got to laugh. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I take humor as a very good healing process. That being said, how... You're, you're our first family photographer we've had on the podcast so far. How has 2020 been for family photography? Angie and I are both wedding photographers, so obviously most of our business, uh, we're both also destination wedding photographers, as in we are the destination for clients to fly into. So we've pretty much just dried up. But how have things been on the family front? I feel that towards the beginning, it stopped. I do travel quite a bit for some of the family sessions. So I was supposed to be in Turk and Caicos in March. That was the first cancellation. I came back from a bar mitzvah in Cali, Colombia, and the next six, seven trips were canceled. Luckily, the local family sessions were fine. They didn't want me to shoot in their homes, which... I find it's kind of their story and it was kind of crappy not being able to document in their own space. But at least business-wise, still making some money was was good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and within time, I feel Miami is not the perfect example of how to deal with COVID like everybody <laughs> <laughs> experienced. <laughs> so I was... People were calling me, and it was me on the fence of, like, should I go? And if I go, I see this family, and then I see beyond coming home to my husband, and then I'll I'll go see another family. Am I putting anybody at risk? So at least for two to three months, I kept put. I'm like, I don't understand this virus. I still think nobody does. <laughs> like So when I didn't have enough resources on saying like this is what you should do or there were really weird stories happening um i got actually not really close people but people i knew pass away 
So I, for, for a while, I just stayed home. And then with the idea of going with a mask, I started shooting again and testing got to be a little more available. So I would get tested before shoots. I, I was just talking with you guys. Uh, some of the weddings here in Miami are having like test centers before going into the wedding. So, I mean, a very interesting experience, but at the same time, at least you can work, right? So it, with time, I started getting back into the homes, still trying to keep the distance. And uh, I love shooting with my 35 and get close. The 50 suddenly <laughs> became a very interesting lens. It was just stuck in my backpack, never used. Has that changed your style using a different lens? It was. I don't. I don't think it changed the style, but it did limitate me. Like mm-hmm. I think the the end result was still okay. The families were happy. The moments were there. I just, I, I was just not used to having it. There are times I shoot a day in the life just with a 35 and I never even switch the lens. So it was more challenging to me than as an end result to the client. I don't think they would notice the difference. Mm-hmm. As a photographer, I did, but it was not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Did you start shooting documentary family? No, I actually have a degree in filmmaking from Argentina. Mm. And then when I moved to the U.S., I started shooting stills for a wedding photographer. And I was always more towards like documenting families, but it was not... I never contemplate the idea that people would hire you just for documentary. As much as I, I love that, at the beginning, I was like, okay, it was more lifestyle. And after seeing Kirsten in Creative Live, I'm like, oh, there's more people <laughs> like that think this is a thing, you know? And it's still a struggle. I don't think it's an easy style to sell the whole day in the life situation. Still, the first two hours, people are trying to avoid double chins and like where you're standing. And you're like, no, no, no. But I think the last five years was mostly documentary. When I shoot the one hour session, I do start with 15 to 20 minutes of portraits. And then I just tell them to like bring water balloons or jump in the pool or do something that means something to them. That if they would look back in time, it's like, oh, we would always, I don't know, jump in the pool or we would always have a game night or something like that. Something more meaningful and that creates memories, not just a pretty portrait. Mm-hmm. So I want to circle back to something that you said about it's it's harder to sell. I think that you know I have a lot of family photographer coaching clients who want to do documentary family photography, and they say the same thing. So what is it that you say to potential clients to get them on board uh, to to educate them on what documentary family is, and then to to convert them into purchasers? I think showing them a slideshow it's a great way of experiencing a day in the life because you can have a portfolio and you see one great shot of a family but suddenly by the end of the slideshow you feel that you know this family or a kid you can see 
that they've been doing the same thing in the morning or they were always with a teddy bear and then they kind of visualize their family it's like oh yeah my kid loves that toy and he would get over that and it would be nice to have a memory because they've seen there's similar things that happen in each family with different stories or different elements but they all have things in common and once they see these slideshows from beginning to end I feel they they understand the the style and the importance of documenting these things all kids lose their teeth and a close-up of that suddenly if you have a six-year-old that just lost his or her teeth it's like oh yeah it's like they're in the same stage yes it would be cool to document this it is important so yeah i think that a slideshow like the best slideshow you have and i sometimes mix it up with audio so i think it makes it very powerful voices it's something that changes as well and when especially when they're little they said the weird shit like so (laughs) (laughs) yes they do i have a three-year-old yeah (laughs) it's all weird so and especially with the versions i did with coronavirus are hilarious i mean it's this kid saying like yes this coronavirus i can't get out of the house well we did go to so-and-so's house and then it's like sorry mom we were not supposed to say this (laughs) they always tell the truth And the mother is like, yeah, yeah, they're in the same circle. They're not seeing anyone either. And I'm like, that's fine. That Everybody's seeing it. So, yeah, I think audio, it's been another way of, like, combining the slideshow and a good selling point for for future clients. Do you showcase those slideshows on your website, or is this something that you send an email and people inquire? I am putting them on my blog now. Through COVID, I've been a little bit better about my website, but I feel every photographer is like, when was the last time you updated your website? It's like, I don't know, 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you know how important it is, right? It's like if somebody comes for you for advice, it's like, yeah, be good in social media. Have your website updated. It's after I said all this stuff. I haven't done any. (laughs) Yeah. So You mentioned uh, capturing audio. How do you do that on the day? So I started with just the iPhone and then I got a little Samsung recorder now mm. just because the phone, sometimes I would get a, a call right in the moment or I forgot to put it in airplane mode or whatever. So I, I carry a recorder and sometimes during the day I just sit them down and we just have a conversation. Mm. There's also times when I'm shooting and they say something really funny. So I just keep that in mind and try to remember that when we sit down to bring it up, which I think it goes against documentary world. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. No photographer, unless you're an actual journalist, is doing journalism (laughs) as much as some of us may like to believe that we are. (laughs) Yes, yes. And that's what I tell people. If in the long run it is funny and it is a memory and the parents are going to be happy, I'm not shooting for the times, right? Mm-hmm. I'm shooting for a family, and I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, I am. I do try to shoot purely documentary, meaning not moving anything or not changing the light or not like opening a window, 
but with audio because the amount of time I sit down to talk to them is so limited. I want to make sure I get specific things that I heard through the day. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. That's you're the first family photographer I've heard that that takes that approach. I've I've seen people do it on weddings with like throwing a a voice recorder, a phone in like the groom's suit to get the vows for a slideshow or something like that, but never for, for family. But I think. Well, it actually started because I was shooting like um, pregnancy sessions and I find them so boring. <laughs> like, I mean, I just don't know what to do. It's like, yeah, be Hold profile so we make sure you're not just fat and you're pregnant, right? <laughs> Hold the belly and stuff like that. Yeah. So I am very much into like making things as emotional as you can possibly can. So I came up with the idea of asking the parents what do they expect from being parents before the mom would give birth. So they're probably clients that I have shot their wedding and now they're pregnant and uh, chances of me shooting the newborn are high. So by having that audio and then doing another one once a baby's born, it's pretty interesting to see like, we thought we had it figured out right? because yeah. we read all the books and now there's shit in the ceiling. I don't know how it's going to happen. <laughs> so the pregnancy, it's, it's kind of interesting, especially if they're like first-time parents, because all they have, it's like like well, books and what people say. And and you can also sense the nervousness of, in their voice. It's like, oh, yeah, we created a human and now it's coming out. <laughs> and like, so... <laughs> So that's that's very sweet. Um, and also, uh, once the baby is, I hope they would hire me for the birth, but not everybody wants a photographer for the birth. And then once the baby is born, they come out, it's like, I ask them, like, how was the birth? I mean, there's something my sister would, like, every time she would go, my little sister, every time she would go to bed, she would ask my mom, mom, tell me about the day I was born. Like, every single time. And I think that it is all this information and visually and with audio that we will forget, like us newborns, right? Who remembers the birth? Nobody. So having all this personal information, I think it's really interesting for when the kids start asking questions. You're like, hey, listen, I have this album. I have this slideshow. And it kind of like makes me, I'm kind of pissed off that I don't remember my birth. You know? <laughs> like, I want to remember some, and again, I, don't, I sometimes don't remember what happened last week, but there are specific things. It's like, why do we forget, right? Like, what is it that we cannot, we, is it, is it to like save us from something? But it makes no sense to me that humans like just forget so many things. So documenting, it's, really important to me like even when um my goddaughter was born she was she she had some medical issues and some of the pictures i have with her it's like all these tubes coming out of her throat and the mother was like i don't know if i want pictures of that of of that happening and i'm like this i'm just gonna go with my iphone i'm gonna go five minutes and that's it and now my goddaughter is perfectly fine but she will have this story of all the things that happened when she was born with an image and that will give her a better understanding of how she arrived to this world mm. and 
I would have liked that. How do you present this to the families? Do they just you? Do they get just like a, the slideshow on the USB or something like that, or is it a digital download? Um, I use um, smart slides uh, for some of them, but lately I've been because since I if it's just um, sorry if I. <laughs> If it's just images, it's smart slides. If not, I edit in Final Cut and I upload it to Vimeo. So they do get um, they get it at home. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have been telling me, oh, you should sit them down and present it and set it up. But I think there's something. I do tell them to be together and be calm or have a glass of wine or just be chill when they sit. But other than that, I rather it's so personal. I don't want to be there. It's like as a selling point, you can probably sell a bunch of prints after they see that. But I think that it's just like being interested. Mm-hmm. I think it's very personal. Yeah. So, do you have when when you're selling these sessions? Is it you just you have a fee and then you give all the digitals, or is there a product that comes with it? Um, I had a day in life session done in January of this year before before the world went to shit. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, like looking through the whole thing, I was like, there's nothing that I would print and put on my wall because they're just such, um, they're all documentary style. Right. So I, you know, I ended up making an album and my daughter loves flipping through it and, you know, saying like, Oh, look at this, me and my scooter. She loves her scooter. You know, are, are you giving the digitals or like, how are you presenting these to clients in a way that they, they can have, you know, some sort of physical manifestation of their sessions. I do believe that Day in the Lives are, are meant to be albums. Um, I personally like documentary prints in my home, but I can see how it doesn't fit everybody's mm-hmm. home. I love black and white. Most of my pictures are black and white, white matte with black frame. So once I put them kind of together, I feel you can put documentary pictures in your mm-hmm. walls but it's it would have to many times actually the client tells me which pictures would go well together so I have this mock-up and once they see it they say yes but if I would have just picked the picture and send them to it's like you should print this mm-hmm. it doesn't work that well but I think that it's like when you present a series versus a single image, suddenly the series makes sense because it's a story of a, a whole mm-hmm. day. You might have one great shot, but it works best in, a, in an album. But having that said, I still print documentaries in my house. When I deliver to my clients, the first thing they get is the slideshow. Mm-hmm. And after the slideshow, they get the online gallery. And I am not a good business person. (laughs) I appreciate the honesty. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I mean, I do well. I I survived before COVID. We'll tell. (laughs) We'll see after COVID. But I'm not a good. I know I could be making more money selling prints. I just don't have the time. So. Through this year, the idea was I was going to hire my sister to do that for mm. me. But I still feel that I rather charge a chunk of money once and it's like two payments and that's it. I just feel that the whole, because it's a full day, it is a lot of money for what 
people would consider a family portrait, right? Like consider depend um differencing from one hour session to an entire day. It's like longer than a wedding. I think that once you add more cost, usually the parents are like, ugh, you know, it's like, oh, we spent so much money and now we have to buy prints. But not everybody's like that. I think it's, in that sense, I don't think I have the expertise, especially because I struggle with the idea of only shooting for the wealthy. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that if you end up spending who can spend four or five thousand dollars in family pictures a year i could not so i have this kind of like struggle inside that i have to create package for everybody but at the same time i know i could be way more successful if i stuck to a niche and said like okay i charge this and i was told my jenna and kirsten that are my mentors is like if you do that then you can volunteer, which I do quite a bit. And it's like, they were telling me, like, you can volunteer like 10 times more. But once that it comes to the negotiation, and it happened to me in weddings too, I would lower my price and they would show up in a Maserati and I'm like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) They were not struggling. (laughs) So I make a decent living. I travel, I take vacations, I spoil my family, but I know that my business could be more profitable than what it is. I, yeah, I mean, I think almost any business could be more profitable, but this is a journey that I've been going down personally lately is would, would more money or would shooting for people who you can charge more make you happier? I think that I should, um, I should raise my prices. Uh, from where I'm standing right now. Um, well, through COVID, it's like, okay, 1500 I'll shoot you for three days. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like, let's not talk COVID. I think it, I think it would depend if it gives me the money. I, I, I shoot in Haiti, and I shoot in places that, of course, it's for free. So if charging more money and having more of an income from my Miami clients would give me more time in Haiti and in Peru and traveling then I would do it now I don't think but just because I want that contrast and I want to see the different stories I don't want to just and again I feel like kind of shitty uh, like separating classes you know but it's not that I don't want to shoot for the rich I want to just shoot for everybody and kind of like learn from different families and different like socioeconomic situations and experiencing what do they have in common, what is different, you know. Even shooting through through COVID and shooting kids that are in public school versus private school, that's I mean, that's an entire essay and how depending where you're born plus a pandemic, it's gonna affect your future because Kids in public school right now in the states are truly struggling, and they're not getting the education. And the private schools are. And is that gonna give you a better future? Mm-hmm. You know. So when I'm shooting families, and luckily people want to document these times a little bit because I've been pushing them like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I truly believe these are times that should get documented. 
it's very interesting to see the difference between just public school and private school at mm. this moment. So what's what's your hesitation in raising your prices? You said you should, so... Fear of not making, uh, like, ends meet. <laughs> uh, saying, like, oh, if I... Scaring people off. If I... Yeah, it's like if I lose clients. So what I started doing is I kept my old clients in the same rate, mm -hmm. and all my new clients, I raised my prices. And I have lost new clients, but I have kept the old ones. And I tell the old ones that this rate is only because they've been clients for the last 10 years. So that I've been doing for the last year and a half. And I can see even in that little step, the difference. The thing is that by the end of the year, I shoot a lot. So suddenly I don't have any more spots. And I, I still want to shoot my regular client for less money just because they've been hiring me for... 10 mm -hmm. plus years and I could have charged double and I just missed the client but I'm fine with it like as long as I can I mean I'm fine I mean I could make more money but I'm, I'm in a good state so I don't care right. how do people find you usually it's word of mouth now through this downtown I've been uh, my sister is a uh, marketing digital specialist so i've been taking a bunch of classes and realized that i should have been applying a lot of, <laughs> of things in my business <laughs> so hopefully in the future i'm just going to hire her to do that part i feel that if life goes back to what it was i need to hire people even if i'm making the same amount of money that's the only way i'm going to move forward by outsourcing because either i'm not good at it or i don't have the mm -hmm. time well and it frees up time to go and do the stuff that you're good at which is yeah it's yeah. always hopefully usually yeah i mean i always <laughs> use the my best outsourcing example of all time is from uh, tim king who's a photographer in san diego who outsources his yeah. laundry because he's like in the, in the two and a half, three hours a week that it takes me to do all my laundry, that could be a shoot. And they wash and fold and everything else, my laundry, and it's amazing and it's so great. And the, the cost of it is significantly less. And because like, whenever I talk to business owners, a lot of us, we think of outsourcing of, okay, I'm going to hire an editor. Or I'm going to hire somebody to write my blogs. Or I'm going to hire somebody to do this. But you can outsource anything. Anything. Your house cleaning, your laundry, your yard care walking your dog, like anything that doesn't bring you joy, you can outsource that, which could give you more time back to put time into what you do enjoy in your life or in your business. Even uh, grocery shopping, it's, uh, I mean, my husband loves it. I don't know why. But... I do too. <laughs> but he, <laughs> but every time he goes, he comes back with a $40 bottle of wine. I'm like, no. <laughs> so it's like he, he only can go so many days a month to buy uh, groceries. But for me, I don't enjoy it. And I'd rather be doing something else. So mm -hmm. the online groceries is amazing mm -hmm. to me. But at the same time, and this is, this is really dumb. <laughs> but it's true. I struggle with the whole idea of the starving artist having more inspiration than the successful mm. like i want to be like i, I want to pay my family's tickets from argentina and say here let's go vacation at the ritz carlton i would love to provide that but at the same time 
I think it's some struggles that can make you connect with whatever you're shooting. Or, I don't know. I feel like Bob Dylan's song in his 20s are way better than <laughs> once he became famous. And with musicians, it happens all the time. It's like, how are you going to sing about being broke and struggling? You live in a fucking mansion. <laughs> like, who's writing the song for you? <laughs> so... And it doesn't apply to all artists. It's just like, I, again, it's really dumb, but I, there's a sense of like hustling that, and that of constantly trying and innovating that when you don't have it figured out, it's more exciting than when things are going really well. And it happened to me with weddings. I kind of like, not that I was doing that great, but I was like super happy where I was at. And then I just got bored out of weddings, out of the whole thing. With families, it's not happening. But I, yeah, the whole situation of like, uh, be careful what you wish for, wish for, not because, but because you might get it. And once that you get it, what's next? I have this feeling of like, I love going, I'm from Argentina and it's a different reality to the States. And I don't know, I, I always follow my heart and like feelings and stuff like that and I find those are I think more raw in a way when I'm struggling a little bit so then how do you walk that line uh well now I'm at my 38 right I don't want to struggle that much anymore <laughs> and just saying I don't have children that's a big mm -hmm. difference like I do take responsibility, even though I don't have to, with my nephews and nieces. Like, I I mean, I would give my life for them and I'd spoil them. But um, I, again, what was the question? How do, How do you I walk that line between being, you know, getting the inspiration of being a starving artist and then, you know, the desire to make money? I think that that's where... For for 2020, what I did is like I want to reach this amount of money, and then once I do that, I want to travel and work for nonprofits, and I think that's a good balance because I know that I can pay what I need to pay. I can go, I can take one trip to Argentina, and then I can do what I love. And I think that the whole idea of working for nonprofits kind of keeps you grounded. I think I'm also not in the best place for my personality or my, I don't know how to say it. Like, Miami is very strange in so many ways. Like, there's so much money, but at the same time, it's like you don't own half of what people are showing. And you're constantly thinking, I'm constantly thinking, it's like, how can they do that? You know, how can they reach there? But reality is so plastic and it's so fake that unless you know the other person and you know their background, it's like, oh, yeah, they truly made it because this, this or that. But there's also like really you think they're making it and they're not, especially in the photography industry, yeah. like kind of like, no, I don't go out for less than 15 grand. I'm like, how do you do that? And then you find out it's, yeah. yeah. If they've got a spouse that pays all the bills or whatever. Yeah. The, 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 inst yeah, the Instagram reality of, of the photography industry is pretty interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's actually a quote I have on a t-shirt that says, "The grass is not only uh, the grass is not always greener on the other side." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I feel that's very much Miami. And again, there's other things that I love about Miami, and it's great. But you have to keep yourself grounded in order not to keep comparing yourself with whatever the other person has um or whatever that person took their, their business to because there's a there's a story behind every one of us and it's the same thing and we're trying to buy a house and it's been a struggle and there's other people that can have a parent saying hey here's a down payment uh so comparing each other it's just <laughs> so so aside from wanting to make enough money so that you can work for not-for-profits and travel and do things like that what what motivates you in your business? Um, like, I know there's, I've got some friends who are wedding photographers who would be considered top of their game and they're constantly trying to reinvent themselves to stay motivated because they sort of, they hit that point that you were mentioning of, okay, now we've hit this level. Where do we go from here? Because we've, you know, won these awards or done this and we can charge this much for a wedding. So like, how do we continue to both improve ourselves and feel like we still have a bit of struggle and pressure on ourselves and and move forward. So what do you do to improve your business and improve your work on a year to year or, or shoot to shoot basis? I think I try to follow photographers from different countries or very different styles in order to see what can I apply within my style of photography, kind of like borrowing or stealing, whatever you want to call it. But how do you make your your work new, but still your own, right? Because I have pictures. I went to this workshop with a Magnum photographer, and I shot this picture, and the guy was like, oh, my God, this picture, this is the picture. It has to be here. And it wasn't me, right? I knew he was going to love it, which I felt really <laughs> shitty because I took it because I knew I was going to get a compliment. <laughs> but it wasn't like... It wasn't me. So I think it's um it's important to find the tools and borrow tools from other photographers as long as they make sense to who you are as a person. And I think that as a family photographer, I could make way more money with a baby in a basket than mm-hmm. um not not because what you charge well yes, what you charge by the hour for mm-hmm. sure, the portraits you can sell. And the demand of baby in a basket. Yeah. Um, so I feel with documentary family photographer, you pretty much have to educate and convince them to pay <laughs> that you're worth it. Yeah. With a baby in a basket, they're like, I just feel, I'm like, every baby looks the same. <laughs> like, they're. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way about weddings. Like, I feel like I, I tell people all the time is if you want to make a lot of money, just shoot light and airy and charge a medium price and you will book solid every single year if that's yes. what you want to do but if that destroys you then then you got to learn how to educate clients to to let them oh, know yeah. why what you do is important and we all have those pictures when we first oh, started sure. that we're like oh my god what was i thinking and i wasn't even good at it so the baby looks like a little frog <laughs> escaping from the cloth I'm trying to wrap around and I'm like this is not for me yeah. <laughs> like or for the baby <laughs> like so I think that being true to yourself as 
who do you want to be as an artist? And I don't want to, I mean, I know it's funny, but I know many people that they get emotional by shooting babies in a basket. And if that, like, fills you up, it's like, go for it. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Like, I, I don't get any feelings out of, like, a baby that it looks very similar to the next one because the pose is the same because the props are the same. So, but again, I think that documentary or storytelling has a longer effect on people's life than the posy ones. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Totally in the same camp as that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, here it like, you know, I'm in Maui and it's just so easy to go to a pretty beach put a family on a beach, take some shots. They're going to love it because it's not the picture necessarily. It's like there's a beach behind them. It's much harder <laughs> to capture real emotion and real connection um, than just to put them in front of a pretty backdrop. But, you know, that backdrop, that'll sell every time. Not hard. Yes. Yep. But the other thing is that I don't know if you can reach that level of um, intimacy or a moment in one hour wow. when they're all dressed up in a uniform and you can get reactions and expressions but and again why are they all dressed up the same i wonder right and i, I live in miami it happens my family the- has that picture we call it our gap ad literally all wearing khakis and green shirts it's terrible no. yeah <laughs> i always say like imagine if we get ufos on earth and they just see that and it's like so humans apparently dress all the same <laughs> they hold hands and walk together down the beach <laughs> like <laughs> and people I love that shot like, they love that <laughs> <laughs> and, and and i and i tell i ask them i'm like do you ever dress all the same they're like no do you ever hold hands the five six of you and walk by the beach no and i'm like we can still do a portrait it's I'm not against portraiture. I'm just against some like cheap the contrivance of it. Yeah. I think I think people yeah. do it or ask for it because they don't know any better because that's what we've been saturated with. You know, I I I think the the mental state of the way that people look at photography is still 20 years behind. You know, the industry of photography has has moved so much forward from that point, but when you ask people about wedding photos they still think cheesy wedding photos when you ask people about family photos they think cheesy family photos because that's what we grew up with as kids that's what the photos that were taken of us and so that's what we think and i think that documentary photographers we tend to question everything and that's why we are kind of like leaning to that approach because it's like no it's it it doesn't have to be like this you know Mm. it doesn't have to be just like everybody at the beach but yeah I, I question myself everything it's like so when i'm shooting birth it's like what am i what am i feeling what what do i want this woman to remember what is it so extreme out of what just happened right but once i created that portfolio where i took everything from my website and i'm not gonna lie i sometimes still get clients that they show up even though i tell them not to wear the same i think it's because i'm in a lot of like uh latin community and being from argentina well argentina we don't tend to do that but maybe uh brazil i've seen it and and you know what i 
it's fine if it's a one hour shoot and that's a tradition for them i would never say like no oh no i, I don't shoot this <laughs> like you have to go change yeah. like it's fine at the end of the day is their pictures but the i try to really push it to in during our meeting either in the phone or online to say like this is why and i show them their website and I show them the slideshow, even if it's not a day in the life, one hour slide, uh, one hour session slideshow, they still get to see it. So they can see what I'm asking from them and how they have to search into their own family saying, what does identify us? Like I shot this um, adoption ceremony and when they left the adoption ceremony, they stopped for empanadas because the little girl loves empanadas. And once they got the picture, the mother was like, the empanadas, you're so right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so her. She loves it. What a great idea. And it's so simple for us because we, we're used to ask this from our clients, but we have to think that they don't do this for a living and what we know it will like create an emotion or a reaction. It's not in their list, especially when you're going to a, a ser adoption ceremony. There's so many other mm -hmm. feelings that you have to be the one not guiding or posing, but reminding them like, what is this about? What represents you guys as a family? And the empanada shot is a classic. <laughs> Yeah. Do you, do you have some sort of like, do you have interview questions or things that you ask them to, to get to know the families that you shoot to, to, so that you can drop these little things in there? Um, I do, but it's, I never send them a questionnaire. I try to have it in per, I mean, person meaning like, uh, Zoom or on the phone. Um, so the questions might be very similar. It would adapt different to depending on what their answers are. But the target is to get more information of what is meaningful for hmm. them. So I want to ask a question. So this is a question that I've seen, especially since uh, what's been going on in the States uh, this year in regards to race issues. As a family photographer, what would you say to other family photographers who want to diversify their portfolio, but don't want to be seen as tokenizing or making mistakes as they go along this? Um, I've seen photographers who live in like small communities in you know Wisconsin or something like that that aren't maybe particular particularly diverse, but they still want to step up and show that they they can shoot any family. Is there is there any methodology or things that you would say to a photographer who's looking to do that in a respectful way? Um, I think that as long that you are stepping up for the right reasons, um, you should be okay. And if you do get backlash, just take it. Like, you know that what you mean, or if you get backlash, ask why and see how you can make it better. Um, with, with the whole Black Lives Matter situation, I myself find um, trying to make sure I pick the right words when I speak. And it's not very much myself, but just because I don't want to hurt anyone, right? You, it's not, it doesn't come out of like, oh, shit, um, what should I say? It's more, it's like, you want to be respectful. But then I also thought what's happening, it's like, 
So my fear right now is to pick the right words. Uh, the black community's fear is like not to get shot or to get better treatment in a hospital, to have a birth rate uh, mortality change comparing to white people. So like suck it up like if you have the good intentions and you know you're doing it for the right reasons go for it and if you get some bad comments try to reach out to that person and, and ask them why did they feel that that was hurtful or that your approach was was wrong and remember that their fear is way bigger and it's more important what they're living that the whole idea of like, oh, I messed up in my business. You're still going to have business. Just be true to yourself and um, and try to get into conversations. I think that having uncomfortable conversations is the right way to evolve. And, and making mistakes, I probably made tons of mistakes. It is different when you have an open platform like Facebook and Instagram because many times that people like, that are um, heard, you don't know them, so you feel even more like shit. Because if it's my friend and I know them for years, I know they're going to be fine. But I think the black community is also in a very... Uh, how do you say? I am more... They're, they're hurting. So, though you, so you should be aware. And when they reach out, you should listen. And if there's any changes you have to do, even if it, that means you apologize or saying like, ooh, I didn't know that, uh, maybe it's a lesson you can give to other people, including what we were planning on the print sales that it didn't go through. And it was kind of like, I felt like failing the black community because we had tons of meetings and we couldn't agree on what was the right path. But by sharing the story of all the struggles of, no, if we go this way, we're going to hurt people. If we go this way, we're going to hurt people. So it got to a point that you're like, oh, shit, I want to help. But there's no right way to help. Or is the help that I'm providing that big? I mean, but I think that we should start with within our community, you know, uh, and grow from there. Same thing with education or anything like that start from home we're not gonna when we started that project we thought we were gonna raise two million dollars and solve <laughs> racism <laughs> if it was that easy <laughs> we wouldn't be in this issue mm -hmm. right now so it is complicated but i think that by having the conversations it's a way and with racism as in any other uncomfortable type of uh, conversation because it's it's uncomfortable for a reason so we have to get over that yeah thank you for answering that <sighs> okay i want to i want to jump to something a little bit lighter after that <laughs> <laughs> um you really, really quick Dave, okay. before, before yeah, we yeah, yeah. gears yeah, i'm just yeah. really interested um because i'm not familiar at all with florida in general miami the kind of um, diverse population that you have down there. Most of your clients, uh, what, what does what does that look like for them for diversification? I mean, are you shooting mostly white families, black families, Latino families? Like, 
mostly Latinos, yeah. uh, wealthy Latinos. And um, a really good friend of mine is a midwife. And she is mm-hmm. black and most of her clients are black. So it's funny because when all this was happening and everybody's like, yeah, I want to showcase. I'm like, I need a white woman <laughs> because of my clients. <laughs> uh, and Barbara, my friend, was laughing, and it's kind of cool to also be able to laugh about the whole this, like, how do you, do I take my brand? How do I not hurt anyone? And Barbara was like, yeah, you don't have any white women giving birth. I'm like, I know, because I'm friends with you, and you are the <laughs> midwife, so I always... So they're mostly, um, again, birth, uh, because of Barbara, I get a lot of uh, black families. Uh, which with time it co- becomes like um, one hour shoots or maybe a day in the life, mostly one hour shoot. Um, and then from there, Latinos and uh, once in a while Americans, but they're not that many <laughs> here in Florida. <laughs> I mean, the only person I speak English to is my husband, who's Canadian. <laughs> once I leave the house, I speak Spanish all day long. <laughs> so interesting actually he said that um he never he says he can never understand me on the phone my husband clients do and i speak english and hopefully you guys are understanding me but um so i said that's the secret of being married 12 years do you have of the time i don't know (laughs) (laughs) real talk i got the gloves come off once you hit like the 10 year mark like you can pay anything to (laughs) that I'm like, excuse me, how many languages do you speak? <laughs> All right, Dave, go ahead and take that take that turn, lighten us up right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you recently judged Photo Fantastico. For anybody who's listening who doesn't know what Photo Fantastico is or was and now is, uh, it was a small creative photography competition uh, based in Austin, Texas, started by Olivia Vale. I took part in it this year in the last, well, I guess not the last, but this year's uh, in-person uh, event where you have 24 hours to, in a team, photograph a specific number of, of prompts in any creative way possible. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I, I don't tout myself as a, as a creative person. And so just being given essentially like eight sentences and say, go create art on this, this is very very difficult um and we were exhausted my team and i by the end of it we just, we just grind out for like 24 hours so that all being said you recently judged and correct me where i'm wrong here but i think one of the online versions that that olivia has put out uh since covid has happened what was the process like judging a creative competition like that well i was i was judging with two hour judges we do and um, Sigma, so they're great. I have this feeling. Have you read uh, Blink by Malcolm? Gladwell? Yeah. Okay, so it's this whole analysis of how you make kind of like a decision on something within the first like seconds that you meet someone. So I, I think that I do apply that to photography in a way. I, especially with Photo Fantastico, it's so. Um, you can use, by the way, for those who don't know it, it's amazing. Let's sign up. <laughs> no, it's uh, 
it's you can use Photoshop, you can be documentary, you can do. I actually participate in the first one this year, and I create an entire set of postcards, and I wrote a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so you can do anything you want, which is kind of like very liberating as a photographer that shoots very uh, specific style. So when judging is like for me the first the first images I put aside as like maybe winners, it's like an immediate impact that I don't have to analyze it deeply. Maybe in the end, once I review an image and it's like, oh, this is super smart or because I have to read the image for a little while, then maybe that one ends up being top uh, towards the top. But the first thing it's like, what its immediate impact to my eye. It's like, whoa, that kind of moves me. It doesn't have to be in a good way or maybe in a gross way, whatever it is. It's just an immediate reaction inside of me. So there were some really creepy ones. Uh, <laughs> if you go to the collection that you're like, oh, it looks like a horror film. And immediately, especially if we're judging creativity, you need that something that you haven't seen before or that you get this action reaction to what you're seeing that you haven't experienced through the other collection i'm very much into i know a good picture is made by live moment composition right but the whole reaction or how it makes me feel it's very important mm-hmm. It was a really interesting process. There was one of the teams in January in Austin this year that had a comic book artist on their team. And so they added illustrations, like they took the photos and then he drew on his iPad all of these illustrations over the photos. It's it's so completely out of left field to what I was used to. But I love looking at the entries and seeing the creativity that some of these people come up with and, and, and just out of nowhere, because it's usually a time crunch to get to get these things done and stuff. It's like I can't even begin because, to imagine judging it. Because there are no rules. Once they stand out, they sound loudly. Mm-hmm. Like you can definitely set up the ones that are stepping up from the rest, mm-hmm. just because it's like creativity on steroids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So then, it seems like you've gone through this this kind of transition here where, you know, you were a wedding photographer and you've gone into family. If you could go back and talk to yourself when you started your career and give yourself a piece of advice, what would that advice be? I think that, um, that it's okay to be myself. I think finding my people, meaning the documentary world or including you guys, like kind of the photography industry that it's not like, Oh, no, that's my secret recipe. I cannot share it with you, you know? <laughs> that's the side of the industry I first met, and it was very disappointing. And then by allowing myself to meet people and to open up with people, I found a crowd that understood me and gave me the permission I should have given myself without the approval of others, but I actually needed it. So, I mean, I'm glad it happened, but if I would have that approval of like, it's okay to shoot different than what the standard is, that approval, I wish it would have come from me, but it actually came from the photography industry. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
So you mentioned earlier that you like to look outside of your standard, like people who shoot the way you shoot or people who shoot in the country that you shoot in. Is there, are there any photographers that are standing out to you right now who are, who are influencing the way that you look at your own photography? I, I not only look at photographers, um, filmmakers. I recently had a conversation, uh, with, uh, Zalmi, um, and he said he used actually literature for inspiration and mm. I think that Instagram right now it's a little bit saturated so to it's a great tool but so I created images by Chantal then I have Chantal Weddings as Instagram then I had Chantal Laurie that was supposed to be I'm only gonna follow who I inspires me now I have to open another <laughs> but uh, I mean I I feel I would have to get back at you because I, I feel I'm gonna forget people and I I, I, I well, let's just scrap them. photographers then or are, are there filmmakers that that are speaking to you a lot lately because I also lean on 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 film uh, cinematographers and directors a lot when I'm looking for creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like, there's a couple of Argentinians, um, the Coen brothers, I like quite a bit, the Memento, what's the name of Oh, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan, Spike Lee, and again, they're all people that really did something totally different, Mm -hmm. like Tarantino, Uh, although I can't, I don't get him sometimes, (laughs) but. I don't think Tarantino gets Tarantino sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I should, like, I know it's, but I actually, maybe I, I tend to lean towards the colors. When it works, I mean, uh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Kill Bill, it's still, like, one of my favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a couple of um, Argentinians directors. Uh, I'm going to write you the names. Uh, Santa Oja. There's some really good, I feel Mexico is coming with a lot of talent. I mean, in photography, in cinematography. So... Yeah, I'm really bad to coming up with names out of the yeah, That's all good. <laughs> I get I get really nervous every time because I feel I'm always gonna forget about someone. But there was actually recently I saw comedian uh, who was it? Who was before the the first late night show who's really known? Artist. Oh Carson. Carson, yeah. yes. So there was a guy who I don't even know who it was, and he read a poem about his dog dying. But the poem went from like being super happy. I'm going to leave the link for you. Yeah. So it was like from going like it, it started really funny because it is a funny talk show. Right. So and it's hilarious. And then the. The dog is starting to slow down and he's not chasing balls and he's not chasing the mailman and he and he starts describing and the pat on the dog's head and immediately I start visualizing all that and I end up freaking crying on a humor comedy talk show right and I think that to have the balls to go into a show that being funny is what's hip or what's gonna bring the audience to life he not he took you through through a roller coaster of like melancholic funny uh adorable and sad 
and all those things happen in a poem and talking about a dog. I mean, I fucking love dogs, so it, it's <laughs> yeah. You just you, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so I, I there is some connection to to animals and everything, but no, every person I showed that clip, they they ended up crying even if they wouldn't have a dog. Mm. And I think that in photography, um, that's a target to move either with comedy or with melancholic or with whatever it is to move the audience regardless what their life is. Like not only because you have children, you can relate to to what's happening with a family. I mean, I don't have children and I love documenting families and I love telling stories of families. Mm. I went to Utah and I had to document a family where their kid had muscle dystrophy. It was actually for first in class and I ha I spent a week with the family. So I didn't know what the story was. Is this a story about the mom dealing with a family with the oldest kid with disability? Uh, is it about the dad going to work and making sure the kid can have surgery, can be as happy as he could be, even though he's moving into a wheelchair, right? So at the end of the, the week, we would present like a little slideshow with all the stories. And I told the mom and dad, it's like, we're going to have a slideshow. If you guys want to come see the slideshow, you're, you're welcome to. And they're like, oh, can we bring the kids? And I was like, yeah, of course. And suddenly it's like, I kept, even though I was shooting for three days and I was approaching the shoot as um, like as a day in the life, but I didn't have a story. I didn't have like, wh where am I going with this? What is going to be the slideshow about? But now I know that the kids are going to be watching the slideshow and I don't want to tell a sad story, right? I don't want to, I don't want the kid to worry. He has, uh, he has already enough to worry about. His name is Henry. And um, and I spent the third day, I went to the doctor with him. We went to the checkups and everything. And then I I saw that he would take a little halo guy. Um, like the, the Master Chief. And he was adorable. <laughs> yes. yes. But he was adorable because he's not allowed to play halo. But he has all the figurines. <laughs> so, so I ended up telling the story from the halo guy's perspective. That he would come to Earth to tell the story about his master in command, Henry. And then, like, how Henry's shield was broken when he went to the doctor. And how Henry... So, it's it's kind of like, how are you going to tell the story? And for me, it really depended on who's going to be watching mm. it. So, knowing that him and his siblings are going to be watching this, I don't want to tell how shitty... The, this illness is and and the the whole in the future it's not going to get any better it's going to get worse so are you telling a sad story and that's where the poem of the dog i think really influenced me in a little bit because he started being funny and by the time the dog is gone you still have like a really warm feeling of the story and it's uh it's not it is sad but it's there's still some kind of like warmness through the narrative of the poem. So when I was doing a deep dive on you, went to your website and everything. I watched that slideshow 
Oh. And at first I was like, wait, who's telling this story? <laughs> I was like, this is dad? Like, what is this? Uh, but then, you know, very, very early on, you make it clear that it's Master Chief who's telling this. And I just, I thought it was genius. And I, I was, and it, by the end, I was trying to figure out, like, am I sad about this? Or am I actually, like, hopeful about this? It was, it was just a, it was a really strange um, feeling that was ignited by, by watching that piece of art that you put together for that family. And I think any, any kind of art that you create that makes people think, I think you've just done your job as an artist, so bravo on that. It's really good. We'll put we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely. And and in that, especially in that project, I don't think it was the best photography I've ever done. But I was happy that when I look at Henry looking at the slideshow, he was smiling the entire time. He's like, "Oh, you made the Halo guys, <laughs> yeah. you know." And in the end, I don't think I would be a good. I always. I don't know you guys, but at some point I always say, I want to be a journalist. I want to travel. I'm like, I don't know if I want that. You you have to have a really tough shield and be a little bit ruthless if to tell stories that you know the, the people you're photographing will see, right? Mm-hmm. And if the story is sad, you cannot make it magical about a little Halo guy. You have to tell the truth of how fucked up the world is. So... Suddenly, my whole ambition is like, oh, I'm, I'm good at storytelling. <laughs> I don't want to like, and I'm fine with telling sad stories, but it, it, I don't know. It, I don't think people will take this ideal of like journalism. And when I talk to journalists, sometimes like, they're like, it's fucking hard. You have to disconnect fun from the situation so hard. It was the the guy that won the Pulitzer Pulitzer Prize of the little kid in Africa with the vulture, mm. the guy ended up killing himself. Yeah, you know, racked and, with guilt. And there's so many stories. So I think that that being in a smaller bubble for me is perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's what I love I about doing I'm... documentary family photography or wedding photography or something like that is I don't have to have that disconnection. I get to dive in and tell the story in, in, in that sort of unbiased way. Could, yes. Yeah. Yes. And and at the same time I admire journalism even more yeah. because either you have to be really strong or no, I was gonna say something bad. Or you have to be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember watching War Photographer, the documentary on James Knockway the first time and and thinking, I'm like, this guy's kind of an asshole. But it's like, I yeah. get it. Like shooting what he shoots all the time. Like, I feel like you have, you have, you have to, to emotionally compart- yeah. compartmentalize like that. Yeah. And it's even funny when you hear him speak. He's so calm mm-hmm. and he's so zen. And I'm like, oh, with the things you've seen, I mean, there is, I, I never met him in person. But I feel that he must have some like internal peace mm-hmm. that he can kind of control in a way that I'm very emotional and I'm very like, I don't know, I want to speak up. And then it's like, no, wait, Chantal, like, educate yourself. <laughs> You're <laughs> yeah. going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, perfect. Angie, you want to take us home? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so seeing as business is an adventure, what are your field notes or trail guide 
that you would hand off to somebody if they're embarking on their own journey? Don't do anything I did. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, learned how to uh, give up the work you don't want to do, mm-hmm. um, even if that means uh, m- make less money. But if you don't like post processing, to give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you don't like answering emails, hire an assistant. So you will enjoy your job way better, and your clients will be happier. Um, there's nothing worse than a client email me for the third time saying that did you get my email? And I'm like, man, I think I should have done that, but I'm busy. Because I feel we tend to put more time in the things we enjoy the most. Oh my god, my dog just is crushing through the room. Uh, like, honey, stop. Uh, sorry. That's all right. You That's can life. edit this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm leaving that in. <laughs> but, um,. Yeah, if you can, if you can send that as a third party, kind of like take care of the things you don't like doing, because uh, as the end result, you're going to be more successful mm-hmm. and follow who you are. Don't try to be someone you're not, um, because everybody's going to need like there's not one type of person. So if if, for example, for me, I don't I'm not a person that dresses up or wears makeup and I thought for a while that by being a photographer and going to all these fancy places I was supposed to wear makeup or I was supposed but in the end my makeup is running through my face I don't know how to do my makeup so it comes out terribly I don't feel myself and suddenly once that you accept that hey I don't wear makeup and that's okay or I wear tons of makeup and that's what gives me confidence Go for it. Whatever it is that is, well, sorry, whatever it is that is represents who you are, explode it. Mm-hmm. Because then you don't have to pretend. <laughs> and you're, you can concentrate more on your craft because you don't have to pretend that you're really dressed up when you kind of bent to take a picture. That sucks. And I've done it. So now it's like I go to Athleta. It looks like, I mean, I'm not saying don't be professional but but at the same time find a space where you're comfortable and whatever you're doing you're being yourself love it Chantel thank you so much for talking with us today that was yeah, that was, that was a joy <laughs> it was great thank you. <laughs> look at this this is the mix oh, <laughs> oh my gosh he's huge <laughs> So excited. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, okay, colleagues. Oh, pull the microphone. Damn it. All right. Anyway. Thanks so much for tuning into our show today. You can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes, as well as our show notes at businessasanadventure.co slash podcast. You can find us on our Instagram at businessasanadventure. We'd also love to see you in our Facebook community where we provide weekly free education for our fellow adventurers. You can find the link in our show notes. 
And finally, if you want to get a weekly, not spammy, email from us with our favorite things we found in the business and creative world, you can sign up for our Field Note Fridays at businessasanadventure.co slash fieldnotes.